I'm going to be reading today. I have the New English translation. I'm going to be reading Matthew 3, 13 through 17. So if you want to read along, go ahead. Get queued up there. But this is the baptism of Jesus. And I'll read the scripture and then I'll pray. Uh, The baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? So Jesus replied to him, let it happen now, for it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John yielded to him. After Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my one dear son, in him I take great delight. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, precious Holy Spirit, this is your word. This was an event that happened and it echoes forever. And we get to visit it here today. I have looked into this and I prepared some things to say and um, I just pray that you would bless this message. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, that your Holy Spirit would bless the words uh, of this time to minister to the hearts and to the ears of the people sitting before me, sitting before you, Father. Um, Lord, this is about you and, and for you and of you and by you. And uh, I just want all of you and all of your power uh, to take this and do with it as you will. I just pray, Lord, that uh, you keep me from stammering and getting snagged or, or uh, tripping over my own words or thoughts here in the process. Lord, I just I need to be blessed by you uh, to teach this. And so I ask for that gift, please, Lord. And uh, I pray for our church body. I pray for anybody that's hurting, Lord, that you would bring healing to them. I pray that um, anybody here who's struggling with relationships or their position in life, that you would bless them. Um, We just bring it all before you and ask uh, for your goodwill. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Matthew 3 through... 3, 13 through 17 there. I'm going to break it down. Uh, I got uh, verse 13, and then I'll break it into, and it talks about um, the idea behind Matthew writing the way he does, and then verses 14 and 15, there's the whole interaction between Christ and John there that kind of pops off the page, and then verse 16 and 17, we have um, the the bang bang scene there with uh, Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit and God speaking at the same time. So for only four verses, uh, there's quite a bit to extrapolate. But when we read this, we wanna look at how it's written by Matthew. Um, The story as Matthew tells it here would be recognizable to the Jews. 
And we've talked about this in previous sermons, um, how Matthew is uh, that referenced scribe who's uh, breaking out some of the old and bringing in the new. He's rehearsing and refreshing something that was taught previously to the Israelites that they would recollect and remember. Um, The narration here mirrors the story of Israel and Egypt for a time and then coming out by the way of water. And you see how Matthew has written this. He says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. Well, prior to that, he talked about John the Baptist. And prior to that, he talked about the genealogy of Jesus. So you have this initiation, Jesus comes from this place, and then you don't hear anything about him, and you hear about John, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is on the scene. So Jesus was here, it was remote, it was a while ago, and now fast forward, Jesus is here. And that should reflect, should image the, the Israelites in Egypt, there for a time, quiet for a while, something else is going on, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's time for Egypt to come forth. And so this here is an inauguration of Christ. Jesus is coming forth, and Matthew's writing in that way, so that way the Jews themselves, when they hear this, when they read this, they pick up on what he's putting down. This is a deliberate familiarity brilliantly conveyed. That was the way I described it when I was thinking about it. It's deliberate. Matthew is pinging the, the intentional. He's intentional by writing it this way. It's familiar because it echoes story and story structure from, from previous history. And it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. Um, Matthew was really intelligent. Um, just a structure. It'd be, it'd be one thing to, to, to try to kind of riff or, or what do they call them, cover artists? You know, bands that like try to cover other people's songs. You know, you always think about the original, like, eh, it was all right. You always compare it to the original. This is really good. Right? This is a good cover of the original story. It's like, whoa, see what you did there. Took that old thing and you made it new. And uh, it's really cool. I think that's really, really neat. So anyways, uh, Jesus is stepping out and coming forth. Israel was crossing the water. Jesus is going into the Jordan. And then eventually Jesus will go into the wilderness like the Israelites went into the wilderness. And I'll save that part for Mike. He gets to run with that. Um, But this is in step with that familiar story. And uh, not only is this bringing a a familiar message, um, you know, playing on the original and, and making people go, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I remember the original. But it's, it's doing more than that. This would be and should be to the Jews, should be brewing the message of salvation, which they were hungry for at that time, that they remembered and hungered for when they were slaves in Egypt, 
and um, and even even in the times of Noah, there was there was this desperation, this need for salvation because things were very very difficult around them, um, mostly all the time, everywhere, and so. For Matthew to bring this up and speak of it in this way, they would be anticipating something to meet that desire for salvation. And so Matthew is really sticking his neck here at this point for them. He's saying already that Jesus is salvation. Now, in verse 14 through 15, uh, we see a very interesting interaction between John and Jesus. We can read that again. Um, As Jesus came to John, John tried to prevent him, and he said, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And so Jesus replied to him, let it happen now, for it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. John has a particular understanding of position here. He had been proclaiming that one would come after himself, baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And so, he's expecting a baptism for himself, in a way. Jesus has waded out into the water and <laughs> says, I, you know, I don't know what Jesus' words exactly were to John or what that interaction was like. At some point, though, John picked up on what Jesus was saying. Me, I go in. You, me? Oh, no, it's both. we got this, you know, thing whipped around here. John had been performing baptisms by water and calling for repentance, a willful repentance, and a confession of sin. That would also confound him because he knows who Jesus is. He would, it would occur to him that Jesus doesn't need to repent. Jesus doesn't need to confess any sin. Why does Jesus need me to baptize him? Well, he doesn't get the question answered. Jesus tells him, let it happen now, for it is right for us to fulfill. Maybe I shouldn't have done the New English translation. Let it happen now, for it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John yielded to him. John says, Okay. That uh, that word there, that section of words, it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness is in the Greek, the word play row. Have we heard that before? Anybody remember that word, play row? Last couple of weeks, few weeks? Anybody remember what it means? Play row, a means to fulfill. 
to fulfill. It means to to make it right, to make it right. Let it happen, for it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's a very loaded statement for a very simple gesture, one that John might partly be confused about. How is this right, this correction and this unexpected reversal? Jesus going into the water, John doing the baptizing, not the other way around. How is this righteous, how is this right in the term of play row, in the term of fulfillment? Or what is being fulfilled? What is being made right? Other than John's misinterpretation of the situation. Any ideas? Anybody? No ideas? It's big. Everything gotten wrong by the Israelites leaving Egypt and crossing the sea and being the chosen son, for God called Israel his son, to fulfill God's purposes in a land like my daughter does when we get something wrong in the house sometimes. She goes, eh. The Israelites, eh. David, eh. Before the Israelites, Adam and Eve, eh. Noah, eh. Jesus is going into the water and coming out because it's right, because he's going to fulfill everything that was mm, before. That is loaded. He's placing himself where the whole nation was. He's placing himself where Noah was at a time where Moses was, where, and if you listen to that conversation between John and him, he's placing himself where John thinks he ought to be. Jesus is inserting himself, not just in correction of the, of the record of God and fixing or becoming the right solution to all this historical stuff. He is pulling the reversal of where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in that 
part of repentance and confession of sin. That's our spot. John's calling people, come out, confess your sins, repent, change your course. When Jesus does that, it is him exchanging position with ourselves, or at least getting into the same position that we are in. Even though he doesn't have to confess and repent, he's gone out into the water to go under to come back up again, which is what John has called us out to do. You can imagine yourself in a time travel, you're back there, you're out in the water, and Jesus is beside you doing the same thing. You might not even barely know who Jesus is at this point. You might have just been listening so strongly to what John had to say that you're following up on John's words. But Jesus is out here, and he's in the water too, and some things have been talked about. Jesus by John, certainly, and there's been word going around, but there's a good chance that you could have been somebody that, that really hadn't heard yet, and you're out there. And Jesus is out there in the water with you. Jesus is establishing himself, God, in the form of man, identifying with man. Do you guys see that? It's not just me berating a point so that way you say yes, you say it enough. No, you should be picking up that Jesus is, remember, he, he came from heaven. He was born of a virgin. All this miraculous stuff ran from Herod. Had to run from Herod, not on his own, but by his parents and angels and all kinds of things. God, in the form of flesh, is now saddling up next to men and taking a position with them so that way they can relate. This is right. This is fulfilling a righteousness because it was wrong, or at least mankind was sinful and wrong. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called to confess and repent. And Jesus is bringing righteousness to sinfulness. Simultaneous. And the first, the inaugural, the glimpse into who he is and what he's come to do. So we have this multi-layered I want to say consequence, you know, like the thing that follows another. We have this multi-layered interaction happening here that Jesus has taken on himself in this in this one fell swoop by going down into the water and being baptized. He's grabbing all of Israel's history, grabbing all of relationship with sinful man, and he's bringing it all to himself, bringing it all in. Very interesting, this sidebar. Water. Water's perfect, isn't it? Water's, water's perfect all the time. Water's always perfect. It always does what water needs to do. It gets polluted, you know, or 
it's unsafe to drink sometimes, so you might not think, think that the water's bad. No, it's something that's in the water that's bad. I just think it's really, really neat that God is, is doing this poetic recursive thing with water. And this time, it's his own son that goes into the water. All of that stuff gets washed. The water washes it, makes it new. So Jesus goes under and he comes back up as we read in 16 through 17. After Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my one dear son, in him I take great delight. Now that's the New English translation. It seems like it's very uh, singular that Jesus saw the heavens open. Jesus saw the spirit of God. But the other gospels you'll find, everybody saw, everybody heard. Um, This is kind of a bang, bang interaction. This is, I mean, you imagine this. Jesus comes, gets dunked in the water, comes back up. And as he's coming back up, the heavens open and the spirit in the form of a dove, I think that's a way to describe how the spirit um, was seen, it was gentle. Might have been a dove dove, I don't know. It says it was the Holy Spirit, but it's there and it settles in on God, settles in on Jesus. And I think this is uh, super duper fascinating. Again, sidebar, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, all in one quick scene together. And we talk about their relationship, how they serve one another, that they don't exalt themselves over each other, that they have that very special relationship that makes them God. And it's a, it can be an example to us that we would promote the other people closest to us in our relationships of love and serving them. And you just see this really quick interaction, Jesus doing the will of God, God being pleased, God sending his spirit, his spirit serving Jesus, you know, in the chapters to come, in what's next. The Holy Spirit, this isn't just for show. Like, this isn't just razzle-dazzle, like, okay, if you didn't believe me or John, maybe I'll throw in some visual effects and then you'll be convinced. This is, this, this is way more intentional than that and fourth-tensional, if you will. Um, the Holy Spirit is gonna empower Jesus when he goes into the wilderness. And so uh, I, just, I just really dig that scene and just dig out. It just bang, bang, bang. It makes my imagination, I don't have a very visual imagination, so I like to slow it down, add detail or what I think it would look like, and then it would just, you know, rehearse it, I guess. Give glory to God for a blurry vision, if it is at all, something to see there, so that way, you know, I can kind of know him better, I guess. I don't know. 
Oh, anybody else got a good imagination, visual? Anybody seen those cartoons? Or what's the one guy that does a guy, Tim something, out of Portland? There's a whole animated series on the Bible. I can't remember. I'm not doing it justice by... Huh? Yeah, the Bible Project. That's really cool. That's really awesome. That's somebody who's taken his gift of imagination and animated and turned it into visuals that are really captivating to watch. So much better than the old felt board. Installing. Um, it's neat. Uh, it's poetic recursive again that the Holy Spirit is viewed as a dove. We remember that Noah, when the earth was flooded, sought out provision. Yeah. The dove out of the water. I mean, Noah's, Noah's in the water, come, you know, trying to get out, and there's the dove to, to greet him with his next indication by God to continue forward. Um, Holy Spirit. Precious Holy Spirit endowed upon our Lord at this point in time. There uh, in the bottom of verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my one dear son, in him I take great delight. I was doing some study on that. Again, it wasn't just for visual or audio effects that God allowed this to be witnessed because somewhere in that text, there's a word that describes how God feels towards Jesus, how he really feels about Jesus and what he's done here. The word in there is agape. I might have agapetas, which is where we see the word agape. And so God being all God, God being love, is identifying his son whom he loves. And I read somewhere, this, is, this isn't just a description, this isn't just a like your information passing through the airport, don't park here type of audible voice. This is God declaring, this is my son who I am well pleased. Jesus, who I am well pleased. And it's more than that. That's me trying to conjure a little bit of emotion into what God is saying here. But it's more than that. Those of us who have kids, if our kid does something really amazing or something, we're gonna... You've seen them maybe like soccer moms or soccer dads are like, yeah, you know, freaking out because their kid just accomplished something or did something that they're well pleased with. That's, that's what God is doing here. He is intentionally and emotionally declaring that that's my boy. And I'm happy about what my boy's just done. 
And, and even that description does not do it service. I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure God is probably listening to me right now, sitting up on you're trying, you're trying, but I mean, we're talking about God here, right? God is expressing, you know, I'm finite, he's infinite. However he verbalized himself, I'm sure everybody just went, whoa. Probably just, probably just riveted right through every atom and molecule in their body. Nobody was standing around looking at each other. Was that God? I'm sure it's very certain. And I, I looked at that, and I heard that, and I thought about that. Why is God so emotional? Why is God so proud? Well, we look at what Matthew set up for us to, to perceive out of this passage, that Jesus is the fulfillment God, having all the stake in the game than anybody on the scene here, is super delighted because he, he's seeing his son become, again, what God wanted to begin with which was delight in his creation, delight and fulfillment in the things that he had made, that he was pleased after he made them, that he created a world and a place to be with this creation. And he made mankind. He was pleased with that. And then it got all kind of messy and then another solution, and another solution, and another attempt to get it all back to where it was before it fell. Jesus is coming up out of the water. God is looking down from heaven, and he's seeing, alas, my restoration, the fulfillment. But Jesus just told John, play row. God is fulfilled. Mankind is fulfilled in Christ towards God. We get fulfillment. We get filled full. We get maxed out, not coming up short, which we've been doing historically up until this point. Even sacrificial system, et cetera, et cetera, was probably coming up a little short. I mean, it lasted for, well, I don't know, for a little while. Then they had to rehearse, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. God is fulfilled in his relationship with the son towards his creation and towards the nation of Israel, towards all of it. It all, there isn't one thing lacking here in the word fulfillment. It's not fulfillment except for The word fulfillment means to fill full. Ain't nothing left, ain't no more room in the deficit here. It has been filled. We're part of that.
Let's look a little bit about what we're a part of here. If that doesn't drive it home, this really should. Jesus, again, has taken relationship with us by identifying with us, and then he's been identified with God as his son, whom he's well pleased. That gets handed off and shared. We become co-participants in God's pleasure through Jesus. We become identified to God through Jesus, not of our own works. Hey God, you know me. Remember I did this. Uh Uh-uh. You are identified to God through his son. But you didn't have that before, none of us did. I didn't have that. And no little bit of belief in God and getting my sins forgiven and not worrying about the rest of my life is not how this gets to play out. You're just gonna leave Jesus in the Jordan? Like, I I did it for you. Thanks, Jesus. All clean. Uh Uh-uh. We get (laughs) to process this. We get to process our lives and the undoneness and the rot of the stinking mess that's everywhere all around us all the time with him. This is not a lightning bolt. It is a lightning lightning bolt moment, and it's not at the same time. God is like, that's got to be the the smallest trick in God's arsenal, right, is the whole like, Right? It's like, why would I bother with that? You know? Could have, yeah, should have, maybe. No, God is, God is interested in the full relationship, the full, let's work it out. Now that we're all together, let's work through these things. Let me grow you and develop you and transform you. Transformation is not instant. Like, it is on Instagram, but who wants an Instagram version of a life? press this filter and add this edit and tweak this out. Maybe you need it for, to make something attractive, but not to make your whole life attractive. It does nothing for me to see somebody on Instagram just perfect it out. I do not know that person, nor do I care what's going on with them, really. They're just like, oh yeah, you're all luxed out because of pixelization, D. I wanna know. I want people that I've known <laughs> to know the Lord. I want all this growth and development to happen on God's watch. I know what my deficits are, at least a bit. I know where my heart is lacking. There are things I've got to give up, things I don't want to give up, like we were talking about earlier. That is the relationship and the identity that we get to have through Christ and things get to happen. Things get to happen. They don't just get pixelated and zapped. They get to happen. They get to get worked out. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you gotta cut things loose. You gotta cut people loose. You gotta cut bad habits loose. You get ostracized. You get uh, 
you know, cancel them. You get, you know, what can feel like the raw end of the deal or something sometimes. I mean, it's, it's not always easy. But where's our view? What are we looking at? Are we looking at what we're losing? Or are we looking at what we're getting? It's so, 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 so critical to see the enormity of what Christ has accomplished. It's so much that God speaks up and everybody hears him say it, I'm pleased with my son. It is such a, it's, it's everything, it's fulfillment. We, we have the opportunity and, and I hope that, you know, in home groups for this week, and maybe this is already happening, how, how are we having a more fulfilled life? Let's be honest. We get to be honest with each other or maybe one or two people that are close to us. You're like, look, I'm coming up empty. I'm coming up real short every time I get in the car and head down the freeway. Oh, I wish I had a more fulfilling life in my car on the freeway because I spent a lot of time there. And there are a lot of people I just assume not one around me. It's a lame attitude. It's not Christ-like. What would, you know, remember the silly bracelet, what would Jesus do? You know, I mean, it was a good effort, right? But it, it got kind of lost and played out. But honestly, let's look to Christ. Let's look to Christ together about things. We know what, that at least what he would do is above our ideals and above our version of things. And let's, let's see, let's, let's make up the difference with him. Lord, help me to be more like you. I don't know what you're like in traffic, Jesus, if you were driving down the freeway. But I know you wouldn't be like this. I know you wouldn't be thinking or hard-hearting those individuals all around you like I do. So let's, maybe let's start there. Let's be transformed. Let's be a little softer. Lord, help me to be soft, softer towards my fellow man, more patient, I got another real-time example that is practical, tied it to this sermon, at least to the extent that, look, we have, we have a life, we have shortcomings, we have issues, things that aren't fulfilled, we want fulfilled. The whole point of relationship with Jesus is to have fulfillment in him and with God, not just to check the box. And this is, this is, this is why I brought these. <laughs> this is awesome, you guys. So I had my birthday, November 1st. What day was that? That was Wednesday. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Wednesday was, was, was my birthday. Uh, 14 years ago, I think. 14 years ago, it was my birthday. It was 2009. Did the math on this. It was after the economic collapse, the big crash, Obama was president. I'd lost my job in Kirkland as a chef and I was scrambling to stay employed because nobody was going out to eat. And uh, I ended up out in Issaquah at a mom and pop Italian restaurant. It's probably where Olive Garden came along and said, let's do that, but on a mass scale. It was, it was, it was not like, mm. it was on some degree, they did, use an imported Italian flour on their pizzas, which Tutabella does. Tutabella 
took that flour and made it their, their signature pizza crust and that got their business up and elevated because nobody had pizza like that because it was a special flour, on and on and on. I'm working at this Italian restaurant that also has that same flour and I'm put in charge and if anybody's ever been middle management inserted into a crew that's already been established for years and years and years and made it work, do tell me how. But I got inserted into this middle management position. It was called a sous chef. That means second chef. That means I'm in charge of everybody else except the chef and the manager. And it's, it's lunchtime, and the crew that has bonded and been together for years and years and years, are, they're not taken to the new guy. And so I'm, uh, okay, I've got to be a little more <laughs> with them, all right. And, uh, and uh, the owner comes to me, he says, Jameson, the pizzas that we're putting out, these are no good. We're throwing money away. We're losing money. These pizzas are too small. They're supposed to be 11 inches. They're coming out nine and a half. They're coming out 10 inches. This has got to stop. Okay, okay, I'll talk to the pizza cook. We'll make sure this happens. So there's this pizza cook, and his name is Jose. And hey, Jose, come on, man, we gotta make 11-inch pizzas. Jose says, oh. So you think you're the boss now, huh? Hey, owner just told me we gotta do it, we gotta do it. Cooking, working through the lunch rush, pizza comes up, boom. Mm. Tape measure, mm. nine and a half, maybe 10. Jose, uh-uh, make it again, dude. It's gotta be 11 inches. Oh, you think you're better than me, huh? Jose, you know, we're button heads, we're going back and forth. He's, he's dug in and he's making me make him do his job. But with words, right? And I've run out of words. And he said something one more time to challenge me and I said, Darn right, mother effer. And he said, oh, call me mother effer. Runs off, tells management, do call me mother effer. Jameson, you're fired. You can't talk to our employees like that. Jose. I had the pizza. You ever seen those pizza spatulas, the big ones? Big square thing on the end of a spear? I had that thing in my hands. I kid you not, this is purely for potency of testimony. It is not my heart. But in that moment, it was, I wanted to kill that guy. I, I had the lights, everything went gray. I was this close from blacking out. There was so much hate in my heart for Jose in that split second. I had this pizza thing and he turned around and I had this thing level with his head. And it just, it was everything I could do to not. And that was on my birthday, and I get my stuff out of my locker, and lunch rush is over, and Jose's chilling out in the parking lot, and I got to walk to my car, and all the other cooks are there. And I'm like, thanks a lot, Jose. It's my birthday. Happy birthday, mother effer. I wish I was the one that got to say that. Mm. 
for 14 years, sometimes on my birthday, sometimes on my not, sometimes not. You know when you're laying in bed and you're rehearsing things, sometimes things sneak in. Damn that was it. Say, cut me. Boy, cut me. God help me to forgive that man. Maybe I could forgive him for a minute or two and then get to sleep. But that sucker was buried in there. <laughs> Jesus is so good, you guys. November 1st, a few nights ago, let's go out for dinner. Where are we going? And let's go to Mod Pizza. You know, it's fast food. I wanted to have pizza with Elodie because all we do is go out for usually burgers. I'm like, you know, pizza's fun too. And then I'm getting ready to go out and I'm taking a shower. I'm thinking, my pizza is too fast foody. Where else can I go? You got Tuta Bella right over here in Fremont, Wallingford. Tuta Bella. Nah. Yeah, go to Tuta Bella. Just the smallest suggestion. Go to Tutabella. Wasn't no booming voice. This is my son. Well, please go to Tutabella. <laughs> but it was, it was, go to Tutabella. There was, a, there was a little edge of conviction to it. It was really interesting. This is a hindsight 2020. I realized this. Because my wife and I and my daughter would go to Tutabella and we walk in the door and there's Jose at the front door behind the counter. On my birthday, 14 years, this sucker's been growing and bittering and thorning. And I'm like, well, what do we have here? <laughs> Revenge is sweet. All right, that's what, that, that was a passing thought. I've seen enough revenge flicks and action movies. I know how that gets interpreted. So we sit down and Terry says, so what are you going to do? I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to order pizza. And I'm going to tell him it's too small. And I'm going to send it back. <laughs> that was a passing thought. But Jesus, whom I believe in, who has saved me and rescued me and given me this golden opportunity, it's probably not going to settle for me getting revenge. So I'm just, God bless my wife. I'm just saying what comes to mind. I'm just saying what comes to heart. I'm just being honest. She's not going to reject me. I'm just saying, yeah, I want to get him. I know I'm not supposed to. I want to get him. No, I think, I think maybe I'll go to him and I'll say, I forgive you, Jose. Yeah, that sounds right. She says, oh, don't you think he needs to forgive you? Oh, no, 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 honey, that's not how that worked. Jose's the bad guy. <laughs> You're me. <laughs> but if it was going to go over, I was going to have to forgive him. Unless forgiveness is real, provided by Christ, 
in him in relationship with him. It doesn't work. But we tried. We ordered our food. I made sure we ordered our food first before I started talking with Jose. And we have our nice meal. Sir, and get you anything else? Yeah. Is Jose still here? I'd like to talk to him. Oh, yeah. I say, Jose. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Jose stood up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said to you. I'm sorry I called you that word. He said, oh, man. I'm sorry. I disrespected you. I was being a punk that day. I'm sorry, too. (laughs) Oh, it was so good, you guys. I don't even think there's a hole there anymore. That bitterness is so gone. It's so gone. It's so precious. I can see Jose's face, and I can pray for him. I suppose if I need a big, warm hug from a fella, I can probably go get it. He's a sweet, sweet man. He says, yeah, Jameson, God is good all the time. Yeah, isn't he, Jose? I got to go wash the dishes, but good to see you. Yeah. On my birthday. Remember, they do me straight from the Lord. So, let's tie that all together. I don't get to have that transformative experience. I don't get to have that fulfilling experience of the removal of a bitterness and an an actual self-inability to forgive him. I couldn't forgive him. Somehow, I don't know why, just didn't have the, the, the depth to pluck that bitterness out or what. Maybe it's because he got me so good. He got me in my heart of hearts. He got me in that little revenge part of my heart. Stuck in there. I couldn't have done that if Jesus hadn't come alongside of me and said, I'm with you, man. And then said, this is what forgiveness is like. And this is what I can do. And we can do together. You can have bitterness. 14-year-old beyond ripe bitterness. Like extra, extra expired bitterness. You can have that. And any of you here got something. I don't know if it's going to play out. I don't know how it's going to play out. Right? I just know God just did that for me. And if he can do this for me. And I want for you to have a relationship with him like I do, or at least that much. Maybe, you, maybe it's more. I'm sure it's going to be different in all kind of neat details and exciting events because we're all unique. Well, we get to because, of, because he's the fulfillment. So let's see him. Let's see him this way. He, he's the fulfillment. And he will fulfill us and... It might surprise you when and how he does it.
So I'll just close our eyes and just be in God's presence after that. Last week we learned that John was called to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way for Jesus. I was just meditating on that this last week. And I really thought that that we are as a church and maybe you as an individual are following along that same timeline. You know, in chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, Jesus is going to come out publicly to his kind of a public ministry. And right now, we're in this preparatory time where Jesus is preparing. He's being baptized and he's getting his father's affirmation. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. This shot of confidence to his identity before he launches out. And I wonder what God wants us to prepare. The word prepare there is like someone that would make, um, would make a path straight for a dignitary. Back then, they didn't have paved roads or things like that. So before a king or somebody would come, they would send a forerunner out and they would get the logs out of the road and they would fill in the holes with dirt and they would do all that stuff. They would pre- literally prepare the way for a dignitary. What is it before we meet Jesus in chapter 4, I guess publicly, so to speak, what is it in our hearts that we are to make ready for? What are we supposed to make? What paths can we make straight? Think of Jameson, this crooked path from 14 years ago. God just gave him an opportunity to make it straight. I wonder what God would do, would say for us in that way. And I think it all starts with this shot of confidence to our identity. Like Jameson said, in Jesus, God says to you today, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and I'm thrilled with you. I can already feel the doubter here saying to you, not you. I can already feel it. The counterpunch. <laughs> not after what you've done. You're not as devout. You're not as faithful. Now listen, in Jesus, God looks at you and says, you Put your name there. Are my beloved daughter, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I don't know if you've ever experienced someone important say something like that to you, but man, you know, when it's been said to me, I feel like I could take I could take over the world. When my wife says to me, I love you, you're made for this stuff. Oh, watch out, watch out. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. That's what it is. To do what's before Jesus, he needed his father to say, you're mine. 
and I'm so pleased with you. Agapetos, you know, from agape, it means a love that's perfect and complete and final. There's nothing you could do to improve upon it. There's nothing that you could do to take it away. It is perfect, complete, and final. What could you conquer with that kind of affirmation to your soul? You are my beloved agapetos in whom I am well pleased. 